Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking about high oleic soybeans. In our spotlight, we'll take a look at a lawsuit between John Deere and Kinsey. Ag History Minute, we'll talk about history of soybean oil. Have some cool beans that's corny with some current events and wrap things up with a Field Good Friday. With me today are Bill Schomberg. Hey guys. Todd Schomberg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. Bill, you got to ride home with the silver ball? Silver, yep. It's pretty cool, though. It's still cool to make state. Yeah, Wrightstown was down at state this week, a bunch of teams playing at state. So it's, it's be, it was probably a great weather football to be right, I mean, one of the nicest times you yes. could ever be at. For late November to have 60, state I think, football. Yeah. On the drive down, my the thermometer on our car reached at 1.68. Wow. Were you wearing, like... It could be a t-shirt practically. Yeah, I'm sure you have a hoodie on at least. There were people walking around Madison with shorts, shorts. and t-shirts. I'm like, that's not that. Like the trouble with it is it's like it's warm and then the sun goes down. Yeah, and it, it gets just, very cool at night quickly. And, and when you're sitting in the stadium, you gotta be prepared for that. So yeah, we had a couple layers on, a vest. So it was I mean, I remember watching other games other years and it's like snowing. So this was this was pretty good. But yep, they our team came up short, but that's okay. They played hard, and we thought it was going to go well. They started out with a thirteen nothing lead, and then didn't score thereafter. So um, that's tough. You get up like that, and you just kind of getting that. Was that in the second quarter yet, or first quarter? Or? Um, for, yeah, I mean they scored right away in the first, and then by two minutes left, um, you could tell like momentum was starting to change. Severely changing, yeah. yeah, in the first quarter, two minutes left, and that's yeah. hard too. As a you know, when you're a young kid playing there, you I'm sure they could feel it. And oh, then just right. Watch it kind of it within your grasp, and then right the excitement. And, yeah, yeah, and then it starts to yeah to fade, and yeah, that, that's the sad part with like like obviously sports in general, right? Only one team can win, and and they had a. a you know, they only lost two regular season games, and they won four in a row to get to state. So you make make it to state. The cool part about football is you make it, you get a ball. Either it just depends right. what color you're going to get, yeah. right? At least that like is with, true. Like you're still going home with something. Yeah, it's not like basketball in that you play at state basketball. You play two games down there. So if you lose that first game, you go, you get, nothing. You, you get nothing. Yeah. And that that kind yeah. of yeah would be tough. Whereas, like you say, you're right. You're you're you know you're making that trip just to say you went to state too. I feel right. Like you didn't got to use the word runners up. You just say like yeah we went to state this yeah. year. Like and we kind of knew going in the team we were playing had won state the last two years, so we knew they were pretty good. And um, it turned out that way as well. So it was fun. The kids are there was a lot of people from Wrightstown there that. I think they took three student buses down, plus all the students really? cool. that went with their families. So did like the band play and the yeah, dance, dance team, team dance. My daughter yeah. got to dance on. The That's field, cool. Yeah, so she was pretty pumped about that. And what'd she say about the turf? Because yeah, it's always, I didn't ask her. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a different. Is it different dancing on turf? I, yeah, I don't know about dance. I've never danced on it, but. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was cool. Like more than just the football team, we got to partake in. It's a big deal, right, to these small towns when it's a community thing, you know. I mean, we even just went down once for like a the band got to play. Yeah, that was because it was in August or something. Yeah, it was like a pre. I don't even know why though. You're right. Like yeah, it was just like, it was cool. But they just was, played yeah. at camp. Like a bunch of teams just got to play there before. Like kind of a they it always, wasn't. It was the beginning. of Was the it season. a football game or not? Yeah, football. yeah. It was football. Yeah, they always have band day. Okay, Badgers have band day. We're I don't think they do it. I don't know how they do it now, but before they redone the redid the south end zone there to have the premium seats, those were where our season tickets were, and they would have just one day, and there'd be I don't know thirty different bands there. Yeah, because your uh, your brother Nick was in college at the time. As he came and talked to us, it, oh yeah, yeah. So I think 
This is a football. Our football team played. Didn't right, they? they played. Yeah, it was yeah. like some sort of exhibition it's, game oh, thing yeah. in Camp Randall. Okay. It was, yeah, it wasn't a Badger. Football it wasn't game. a Badger game. Oh, okay. Sure. Badger yeah. games they always used to band aid. Coach Collar probably he could he could get it. Yeah, I, ah, fellas, he could pull some strings to get it. I can't remember. Yeah, there. I can't remember what what the reasoning was. I just remember it was in Camp Randall, and yeah, I remember your brother stopping by while we were sitting there watching the game, and yeah. But it was a neat experience to be there. So just, yeah, just getting to go there is kind of a cool thing. Cool. Yep. When you're in high school, especially. Matt, you got... It's probably old hat when you go to university. To the university (laughs) University, and go there all the time. (laughs) Matt, you got your deer hunting stuff all aired out and all the stink off of it that needs to be and all the good stinks on (laughs) it? Or how are you feeling about tomorrow? Yeah, no, I'm ready to go for the most part. Got a few things to get together tonight yet and then... uh, Spend my weekend in the woods, taking Harrison out for as long as he'll go. Sometimes he just stays for a little while. He's talking a big game this year, like he wants to stay out all weekend. So we'll see if that actually happens. But Does your dad go with yep. you anymore? Yeah, that's yep. cool. It's me, my dad, uh, my son. and That part of deer hunting is cool. The The tradition, the, the deer camp part, yep. and kind of that, yeah, I, I mean... obviously there's some people that are just out there to try to get the big bucks or everybody is. I mean, that's the goal of it, but I'm sure if, you know, I remember my brothers and I always talking about playing cribbage at their deer camp forever, you know, and I don't don't know how much that still goes on. I think enough of it where you, I think there are still those deer camps out there. Um, We hunt fairly locally so we can, I get to go home and sleep in my own bed at night, which I, I guess I have always done. We've never, Never had like a faraway deer camp deer where camp, we sure. spent the night necessarily, but no, it was always neat. Even when my uh, my my grandpa would wouldn't come out with us and stuff, but we'd go eat lunch with them and stuff when they lived at the farm and we were still alive. And so it was always kind of a neat thing to. The big question to is do. the is the corn harvested around it <laughs> yet or not? Because I know it was not as of <laughs> as of uh, earlier. earlier this week. So I have haven't been by lately to see farmers. This week we're talking. They're oh yeah the. It's in our lease. We got to have that off by deer hunting, or and can't till it till after after deer, deer hunting. hunting. Or we were just talking about different lease agreement stuff. That it's a new renter this year, so we thought there was a better shot at it being it, off. But with the year the way it played out, it just, it's hard because sometimes yeah. it just doesn't work out. It, it got planted late, and when I talked to uh, the farm that rents it, his uncle last Thursday said when they open open it up and we're taking high moisture, it was still like in the low 30s. Yeah. So had a way is it, it'd be better if they're actually actively combining it during that week. That's good, right? Because that'll stir them out. And Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Um, depends which way they run. Yeah, right. They, they, they either run away from you or right. towards you. So. Yeah, true. I did do it like eons ago. I don't make it a point now to go deer during deer hunting, but eons ago I did... I was soil sampling during deer hunting, and I chased chased a deer right right in front of a guy. And it was one of those things like the gunshot went off, and you're like, I didn't even know he was hunting. You're like tapping yeah. yourself. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I almost I like ducked down, like what's going on? And then I then I like went to did what I was doing. I went around the corner to the next sample points, and and like the deer was dropped right there. And the the hunter was like, "Oh, thanks for <laughs> yeah, thanks for the assist." Usually we the get assist. it the other way where they're mad at us because right because you spooked them away, yeah, not yeah. spooked them to them. The, the yeah. range of a during gun deer hunting is a lot different than bow hunters. Usually it's the bow hunters get mad, yeah, that's because they have to they want them to Wait, come so. in slow and whereas I'm not that it's ideal, but you can take a running shot at a deer with a a rifle or a shotgun. So Bill, remember when you're we soil sampled during deer hunting week. We had orange on, and DNR stopped us yeah. by the truck. Yeah, and they because they're like, "What are you guys doing out here?" And we were like in like south. We were right? south. It was near Matt, not Madison, but kind of that Dodge County. Dodge County, yeah. And yeah, they you know what are you doing? And we said, and they and they were nice. They weren't like mean about it. it was just they 
they made us like literally open the soil sample bags to show them that there was soil in it, and we had to show probes, and they checked we didn't have guns. And now, now that, like, that you were you had harvested a deer and were cutting I, it up into such little like, pieces yes, that you were putting put it in the bags. Bag. Yeah, like, I feel like like a Jeffrey Dahmer type deal, yeah. like doing something like that. I think they were though. Like, what are you guys even doing? You know, like, but we did we, have blaze on because we did. We didn't want to get shot at. Yeah, right. And we in there too. I always get. You kind of almost got to get like super extra permission to like kind of make yeah. sure you talk to the farmer and be like, hey, is this okay? And if they rent, you know, if they rent the field, they talk to the landlord and make sure all that stuff's going right. But Just easier to stay. Yeah, away. in general, I try to, yeah. It helps make, that Thanksgiving's on Thursday, so the week is a little bit shorter. It's different and, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Do you hunt Thanksgiving Day, Matt? Is that like taboo in families or is that like just um, a given that grandma knows that? No, in our family, it's Thanksgiving. We do lunch at my grandma's house. So we'll go out in the morning and then quit by like 1030. No, I suppose you got to get a deer that day to bring back to eat. <laughs> That's usually the joke of like, oh, yeah, we're not going to we're going to get a deer now and <laughs> right. be late now for dinner because you got to because we sure. have to gut the deer and yeah, do everything else. But um, no, I. Maybe once that I can remember in all the years been hunting with my on my family's land there that we've actually gotten one on Thanksgiving, um, but it's still it's nice to go out and it's very very quiet generally. Like a lot of the people around us, I don't think necessarily go out on that on day, the day, so sure. you don't hear quite as many shots as you do other days. But so, what's the alarm clock? What's the wake up call? Uh. Usually getting up at like five, five, five fifteen. I mean, yeah, it's somewhere in there. By six thirty, when's first light? And you got to yeah. So right? it's usually yeah. It, it you got to walk to the deer stand in pitch black, right? Like it's got or not pitch black, but it's got well, be. it's usually dark. Yeah, you're yeah. walking out in the dark, and then um, season opening. It change it changes like through. I think from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, you, it's like fifteen minutes different from start to finish. Every day it's a little bit different because of based okay, yeah, on like the days. The day like, yeah. Um, but yeah, usually in the stand before the season starts, like before the day is open for hunting, and then, um, yeah. Or if you get out there late, sometimes you do kick one up and maybe get a shot at it. But yeah, shout out to all the hunters out there. Yeah, so safe. Be safe. Be safe. Yep. Want you to come home. Your families want you to come home. Yeah, it's a good luck, Matt. It's a good tradition. It's uh, there's not as many people doing it anymore, from what I've seen. You know, they've been kind of talking about that this year, this, in the last few years, especially that not as many people go out and do it. I, was, I heard that too. I was wondering if that was like just the way our society is trending with phones, electronics, those kinds of things, or is it like like we didn't have anybody a grandpa or parent like nobody passed it down to us so sure. is it like we well, yeah, one of our grandpas did it and he pet adam one of our brothers yeah. does it but like you say we just didn't is it catch. like but you're right if that gets broken like i don't do it so i can't pass it to my kids necessarily that easily or know what so you're right is do you think it's that part of it matters that it's just i think some of it's that some of it's probably um just having time to do it i mean it, yeah. it's whether i mean bow hunting especially there are some real diehards that spend a lot of time in the woods but um it's a time commitment i mean you, you're there's other things you could be doing right while you're out in the woods and some people especially kids with sports like wrestling oh, yeah. and other stuff starts up pretty soon like, if not already like practices oh, and yeah. that. so there's you, people doing winter base like winter training base i mean I'm, I'm, my kids are going to start in a couple of weeks it's like like you're running there not right, right. not having the it's time just, to sit back the no, there's a lot of things to do and so yeah it, you uh, have black friday deals to get ooh. yep yeah black friday shopping a lot of people do that um i they still have i remember when that was a bigger thing you'd see more advertising but like widow's weekend is this week yeah you know because it's the opening deer hunting so all the guys are going away and the women can go shop and do whatever, but uh, Chippendales. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But yeah, no, I think there's just a lot of a lot of things and interest in being outdoors has picked up since COVID, but before that, you know, it was kind of waning. So maybe we're 
we're just a little early in, and we'll see a rise because more people want to do stuff outside since then. But if you don't get phone reception in your deer stand, then maybe <laughs> you, it's not it's as not tempting as for some people. I don't know. I, that part never really pertained to me as much. I mean, it, do, I do you text, watch a movie so, in there? I, I text my dad and stuff like if sure. So you, you see can't, something or whatever, but we don't. You can't text and drive, but you can text and hunt. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, What's also interesting, so in the same breath as that article of like less people are deer hunting, uh, there was another article about people that have like the um, the deer condos they're calling them. Like, okay. basically, it's like a second home that they hunt out of. They sure, sure. Heaters, got TVs, and like the, all that's this, their deer stand. Like electricity, yeah. And I actually talked to. Um, that's a man LC, cave. That's uh, Ken up at LCD in Okano, and he was saying that they actually had to put an ordinance in. Okay. For the people, people were making them so, so big. big. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he told me there was one guy he knew of that had like a a drive on, like he would drive under his stand, like park under his okay. stand, and get out and like get up into it. So yeah, I mean, there's so the, people, there's that's obviously the glamping yeah, version, say, right? There's that what whole we, aspect. Of what it, do we yeah. call it in the deer stand of? Glunt, glunting, glunting, really glunting. Sounds bad. Sound <laughs> sounds like some unfortunate glunting. disease. Yeah. Oh. Ooh, I was up oh. all weekend glunting. Uh, you don't want to know. Uh, no, I. Yeah, I don't know what what the right term for that would be. Um, yeah, hunting, hunting vacations. I don't know. Yeah, it's something with luxury. Yeah. Well, and now, like you say, with with sort of the way you can get internet places, you can stream things. Then you could be, you know, like. All of that access, I could see hey, that. You can you could, catch a Packer game on. Yeah, you could. Thanksgiving Day, you could. Yeah. Do you listen to the radio at all? Like, or do you got to be listening for deer? That no, I. Like you don't put one. Like, like would people be listening to talk radio right now? Yeah, yeah people. Stand? You could listen to podcasts. All right, awesome. If you your phone, yeah. Well, good luck to all the hunters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good yeah. luck right now. right now. We'll talk really catch quiet. Up, yeah. Catch up on your TTI. Yeah, we'll talk quiet. Yeah, <laughs> we won't scare the deer for you. All right, you guys ready to get into our topic for today? Yeah. All right, today we're going to talk high oleic oil beans, the quote-unquote BMR of soybeans. Or the low lignin or just yeah, whatever it, you want to say. There's this very unique new thing. Not new. That's maybe where we'll start. I say not as new as we we thought, I guess. Yes, it's new, new to us. New to us, new to our area. Kind of getting some new varieties in our area, but... The beans themselves have been around since about 2011 or 2013, kind of depending where you look at it. So it's about 10 years that this has been out there. Um, it it seemed like there was a big play for them. So the a normal soybean, a typical soybean, has about 22 to 28% oleic acid. And this high oleic bean contains at least 70%. So to be in that... More than double that. That's yes. a big jump. Right. I thought that too of like... I thought it'd be like from 30% yeah, to 50 or something. Not. Or 35, yeah. Right. So it's very different in oil content. So it, it can be tested for that. They can test the amount to know if this bean meets that quality or not. And basically what it does is a couple things down the the route of the supply chain is uh, we'll go right to the to what one of the big use for it is for frying and baking is that this oil then is it's more stable at high temperatures it kind of is cleaner they can get more uses out of the oil so there's a lot of true evidence and some anecdotal evidence of of this sort of oil working better in the cooking industry so we've all had that you know, that fish fry fish that still tastes like the old oil. Yeah, or your the, cheese curds taste like onion rings. Right, yeah. right. So, I mean, this oil is going to just have a little bit better life for that. Um, some of the things they're they're doing is you having, like, there's one stadium that they switched the whole stadium to using this oil and then asked the fry cooks later, like, did you notice a difference? And they're all like, oh, yeah, it was better, but we didn't know why. So that kind of thing. So there's both, you know, true evidence and sort of more anecdotal stuff. Does it translate better into uh, when you get the conversion kit for your diesel engine to run fry oil? Right, yeah. Does it make that it, more it, efficient? There is uses in biodiesel for it, too, and other things. So, yeah, I mean, there's good good sort of down-the-line uses that way. And then the the big reason why it's coming to sort of our dairy area, and it's in other dairy areas already, is because in dairy cattle, 
it feeds better in the ration. So here again, this gets kind of off for us knowing nutrition exactly, but how it was explained to us is that 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 linoleic oil that was in a regular soybean can depress milk fat. So this high oleic oil basically won't depress milk fat. So you get a better milk fat test by feeding this um, better, you, you know, for, for that dairy cow uh, milk pounds to say the same protein, the same, the same, but, but your butter fat will go up, which, you know, if that's a big deal to, if you're getting paid good on components and stuff, this is a way to, to increase them. So we're feeding our cows antidepressants. <laughs> you said it was depressing the milk. Fat, depressing. So oh, we're, I didn't know where you were doing going the opposite. With that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I know. Bad joke. I'm sorry. Yes, we are. So there, there's even a talk. So there's you know obviously these are going to go to crush plant and the oil will go one way and the bean meal will go a different way, but there's also talk of getting roasters back on some dairy farms to to sort of use these beans directly on the farm and roast them. I mean, I since I've been doing this, Bill, we haven't seen a roast. I mean, I, you know, in the '90s and the early 2000s, that was a thing where you'd get a roaster on your farm right. and roast beans, and that it was always the best smell ever. So oh, yeah. if we're bringing it back, I'm all for that. That's cool. And you know, there's there's talk of that to that they could be cheaper in the ration and save you some money that way. So that's kind of the end use. It's of kind these. of a double a double benefit, right? Because. Uh, the milk fat conversation we just had and then it changes it changes what additives you need for your feed so it's a cost of production thing too which right. is very important save the numbers i had heard was like 44 cents a cow a day potential oh, savings that's, that's crazy but good, that's yeah. that part you know th- this part of it talk to your dairy nutritionist you know get his opinion on how to use this on your farm on that side of it we're not going to sort of focus as much on how to do that because we're agronomists, so we're going to talk more about that part of these, how to grow them. But, yeah, that that's sort of the end use of why, and that's kind of why I'm calling them the BMR of soybeans or the, the low lignin alfalfa. Better feed quality, soybeans. better milk Is, quality. For us, yeah. there's a chance to kind of help that. So the right now there's uh, two high oleic availables, available, two sort of varieties or from companies. So from Pioneer, there's the Plenish soybeans. And from Bayer, they've got the Vistive Gold soybean variety. So now the availability of both these varies widely. Uh, right now, the Bayer Vistive Gold, from what I could tell, isn't technically sort of commercially available right now. It's it's the way it reads on the website is it's coming. Um, they're teaming up with some crush plants to kind of try to bring that back. I believe it said in the mid-Atlantic region is where they were focusing in on where I was trying so to decide where the Carolinas and Virginia that, that area. That, yeah. I mean, I know right now in Ohio, so about 80% of the acres are grown in Ohio and Indiana. Uh, so the, and that's of the plenish being more so sure, than, than the, the Vista of gold. So like Both. I said, the so, so they're out there, but they're very, uh, what specialty, I guess, is the right way to say it. And yeah, it depends. sparsely populated right. throughout so, the So, like I said, talking about this today, there might be some areas in Ohio and Indiana that are like, this is old news. We've heard of this right. a long time ago. What are you rednecks up in Wisconsin, <laughs> you know, getting to here? We've we've known about it. But for us, this is this is more new. So They're unique names, too. Plenish and Vistive Gold. Yeah. Yes. Like it. And it, it's not, neither one is really what I would, like, Think of as a like oh oh yeah no that describes soybeans or you, you know what I mean like it I would have thought may and I don't know the meaning behind either name because they're fairly new to us maybe as I learn more about them the the names will make more sense but it just like something with oleic in it or oleo or right because we all know we all know what oleo is remember that was right. oleo will kill you. Uh, if you listen to the the right people, um, or it was the best thing ever, or it was the best thing ever, yeah. So, and maybe that's why they don't make that connection. But no, I agree with you, Matt. On the the names, both of you know, I and so far in the marketing, I haven't anything seen specific where they're saying this is why we named it this or anything like that. Yeah. So yeah, I don't quite know where they where they did get those names because. Um, 
once you know what they're they do it, it's fine, but they are a little different. The good part is, is they're. This is a spot though, like the, we always talk of the enlist extend. How those names seem similar, but they do very different things. These are very different names that do the same thing. So that's that's unique to these. the The day lengths that are available um, did very very widely when they first came out. They're kind of in that two to three uh, group maturities. Now they've been kind of spreading that out. They're down to a one nine is kind of the lowest group maturity. So I think that's why too, like you get into our area, we we didn't have the maturities available for them. So you can you could see what they're trying to do that. And I'm sure as they, you know, maybe move to Minnesota or the Dakotas now with this one nine, and then if they can get a lower maturity, they'll they'll be able to kind of be in more areas. But the the they're one of the biggest challenges with these so far is that they're currently only available in Roundup Ready, so there's no traits available on, or not, not any more traits. So that's going to be quite different for us in that I feel like we finally have gotten used to sort of the enlist and the extend and using those beans to control water hemp or roundup resistant weeds and, and it's roundup ready one right correct not roundup ready two. it's not two so yeah. from the trait standpoint we're kind of stepping backwards so it's going to take a bigger right we're going back. management piece to make sure weeds get controlled yes yeah you're really going to rely on your pre's which makes sense for the limited adoption too of it's going to be harder to manage unless you know specifically your the amount of beans you've got that you're Right, in our areas, we always talk about like food grade beans, right. yeah. and this kind of goes into that same sort of it, system. It does really. So before we jump to where you guys are going, is let's talk about the next part, which is premiums and why you do it. So sure. How? So there's these other things. So the, obviously, the elevators are going to give you a premium on this product because it's harder to grow. So that we kind of explain why it's harder. We'll get into how to manage that, but the the premiums out there, they do. From what I read, I wouldn't say very widely, but the lowest I saw was a thirty-five cents per bushel kind of premium, up to about a buck fifty. There was some more that were kind of up into that two-dollar range, uh, but that had to do with storage and some other things as well. But it seemed like the premium kind of was in that settled out around that dollar to a dollar twenty range is what kind of is is what it seemed to sell out. So the first year, obviously, they could offer a higher premium to get people on board, to get people to do it. Then they start to move the premium down. And where it looked like, too, they were getting pushback from guys, it was about 50 cents. It was like, well, why am I even bothering then? If, sure. if I'm only going to get a 50-cent premium, you know, that could be eat up in a lot of other things that it just isn't worth it. So, um, And it did seem like on-farm storage was a big deal. Like if, if farms had on-farm storage, you could make a, a better you know, not just paying you to store it. There's kind of a premium on top well, of that. I was that. just going to say it's got to be a, kind of a pain because you want to keep them separate from other soybeans. So you're right. If you don't have on-farm storage. I, correct. Separation is yeah. a big deal. It, even for these grain elevators, too, is they got to keep them separate. So they might have a separate line, obviously a separate bin, um, but it's going to be sort of separate that way. Right. So it's, it's going to be unique in that of just the, you know, we've got, some separate things when you go over but in general not in our area not really i mean you're going you're just dropping off corner beans and now there's going to be this sort of separate area that right and it, it really takes slop factor out of the equation because if you achieve higher than expected yields or you know also they're getting in more than they have been space for i don't even know yeah well locally two things locally is is our local elevators are given the buck 50 Right. right, they're given that premium, and they're contracting by the acre, so it's sure. So, so that's the way they to get around the so that's you don't have to worry as a grower like, oh, I only contracted fifty thousand bushel, now I got sixty, or you know, I got ten thousand bushel. Now I need eleven. You know, I have eleven. What do I do with that other thousand? It was more by the acre, so um, yeah, you, you just take what you have. Really have. To plan, yeah, yeah, yep. And these are they're not approved overseas. So the they do basically have to get fed. You know, the bean oil has to, or excuse me, the the meal. The meals gotta get fed right. yeah, in that way. Which which makes sense. And so it's a little different that way too, that it's it's gonna be used locally. These aren't gonna go to China or anywhere else. 
So that's a pre. I mean, that's the sort of the the carrot or the benefit. And now let's talk more about you know what what some of the about the stick. Well, right. I mean, just some of the problems. The first thing I would tell you, any grower, is, is to really check the yield. So look at you know local plots in your area with these beans in it. They're, that's one. Gapers are not totally brand new that way. There's some plot data out there. So look at plot data, compare it to what you're currently growing. Make sure you got a comfort level that way. That um, that that premium. You know, it's a good premium. However, that can get eaten up really quickly. If you're not planting equivalent varieties, like if it yields a couple bushel less, then it's it's not. What what we're seeing in plots is they yield comparably, but I think you really do got to look at your what you're currently planting now, and then what you know what these beans are showing, so you get that comfort level in these beans because you do want to make sure they yield equivalent or that just that erodes away at that premium and work with your agronomist on budgets, right? Like here's what our cost of production are on our enlist beans. And here's what our potential cost of production on our plenisher, our um, Vista gold bean, Vista gold beans would be, and just see like, well, yeah, if we don't get this yield, we're really not, we're really not doing ourselves any good, right? We're not. Yeah. An easy math, say 50 bushel, because it's easy math. It's, at a buck fifty, that's seventy five dollars that you got to play with there. So it's potentially seventy five dollars of profit. However, it's potentially you know you again if you have a couple bushel yield loss, well then you're gonna you're gonna lose that. And if if the next thing we're gonna do here is weed control, the, the me the biggest key with this is for us as agronomists and for growers is gonna be weed control on this product. I think we've gotten you know, kind of. The tools that were available to us, we've gotten very happy with and used to using Enlist Extend. And so now that that kind of tools are going away, we're going to have to go back to some some of the other technologies we were using before. So, Bill, you were kind of alluding to this. What what kind of, yeah, what do you think we got to do then for our, our herbicide program? Where do we start? Well, as we've seen this year, first off, we got to have some good rainfall, right, to activate those those herbicides. But I think we're going to be in that, you know, two pass for sure, for sure. For sure. For sure. And potentially a third one, like right up front, maybe a couple of weeks after planting, and then push it out as long as you possibly can just to hit those, you know, obviously water hemp, right? We're worried mostly about water hemp. Hit those emergence time frames. And well, even, even from that standpoint, you're probably going to try to pick your least water hemp. Yeah, filled field to put these in. Like, right. if that's a field, if that's a thing. If well, it's an option, right? No, but I do think that's part. Is if you've got Roundup resistant weed problems, this is something you really got to think about. Is is this the time to jump in it, or do you wait till there is traits there? And and how do I put it on fields that there's going to be success here, and not just you know weed problems that you got to deal with? Because even there, you could have yield losses from the weeds out there. There again, your premium gets eaten away, right? right. And potentially. You're going to have to live with some weeds, right? A little bit of weeds in your fields. And and from what we've been told from the elevators is they're going to treat that no different than any other foreign material. Yeah, they kind of have their normal dockage schedule, right. if that's the way to say it. So if if you knew how they were docking before, it's going to be the same, basically. So, right, you want to keep them sort of as clean as you can, but we know that that they aren't going to be perfect. And that's probably okay in this instance, it's just making sure you you plan out your herbicides, and I agree. But especially as we're going earlier planting with beans, you know, going planting beans before corn sometimes, you probably are going to need three passes right. of herbicide. The, the, the biggest scare for me is, yep, we can throw all the chemistry out there we want, but if we get a year like twenty three where we just didn't get the in season rainfall, we don't have any other options, right? Right. You know, so that'd be something to. To, to watch. The other thing would be is making sure you communicate with your sprayer guy, your neighbors, and everybody so that if you're, especially on your farm, if you're going to do half of these beans and half enlist beans or extend beans that you know where they're planted, obviously for harvest part, you got to know that. The elevator needs to know that, like it's tied to the field. But even from a standpoint of drift and of, you Mis- know, misapplications. And misapplications yeah. is just yeah. making sure it's, it's, 
these are going to take more management that way. And you guys were part of discussions, but was there any talk of buffering or anything like that? Uh, with these? Not necessarily buffering, but pioneers um, signage. Yeah, pioneers kicking around, sending you a plenish sign that you can put, which I think would be good anyway. You know, yeah. but but a plenish sign that you can put right there by the field entrance, hopefully, so that. You know, if Austin Sprayer guy's coming in, and hopefully with, he knows what that with a tank and a list, yeah, you know, is like this isn't right. And even um, uh, placards for semis, like yep. so when you get to the elevator, like hey, this load of beans is. I thought that was a great idea too. Yeah. Is like just to, ways through the through the supply chain to keep it that nope, this is a different yeah. you know than than and, others so. and and because obviously the amount of beans is going to be less, so you're gonna like if. You go to the elevator and you're going to that one bin that's plenish. You're going to probably skip about 20 trucks that are in line waiting for regular, right? So right. you're going to maybe make some neighbors mad. So having that sign there that says these are plenish beans, like you might not get as dirty looks at the elevator too for jumping jumping in a different line. Yeah, one thing to kind of finish up on is to also check the delivery timing and moisture requirements. So a lot of these, they may not even have a dryer available where this bin is or how they're doing it. So they're going to want, you know, over 15%. They're not even going to accept it probably. So it, And that'll be all in the contract. So kind of watch the the moisture specs and how that's going to apply. And then the delivery time frame is big too is if you like to harvest beans September 30th, they might not take them till October 1st. Or if, if you like to get them, you know, kind of that. And that can vary, but the the just watch the delivery timing for these two so which a lot of these beans like right now for area the lowest is a one nine which wouldn't be that suitable anyway to plant winter wheat after right a one nine or it's not as common so you know maybe this wouldn't necessarily matter but just make sure you know you're reading not not even the fine print just read the contract and make and sure you know what you're getting into one thing we've been told locally is your first contact point is your seed dealer <clears throat> yeah, which I thought was unique. So yes, like it's not go the, to the elevator. It's not the elevator. Get the, get the acres contract with the, your seed dealer, and they will make that next contact with the elevator and kind of get that ball rolling to say, hey, this is what we got purchased. Here's what's coming your way. Let's get a contract in hand so that the grower knows I have my beans. I know where they're going. The elevator knows they're they're coming my our way, and we should all be good. So talk to your you know, locally here it's Pioneer, so talk to your Pioneer dealer if that's of interest. Yeah, and I, I would assume I've seen postcards getting to farms, so I think there's trying to the, get out. The to word guys. is out. Yeah, and so that's another. Um, you know, that, that's why I wanted to talk about this because I think it's one of those things where there's a lot of moving parts here that a farm just needs to decide on their own when they get that postcard. Like, do I even want to? deal with this and go after these premiums or, or wait and see. Um, one of the, for like long-term bigger picture stuff is it looks like the traded. So the enlist varieties would be available in about two to three years. So there is potential that way too, down the road that we'll get some of those tools back in that toolbox. And then like when Bayer Vista of gold stuff comes back out, they're going to have extend in that as well. So, sure. uh, there, there is, um, there's kind of potential down the horizon that way. So, but yeah, unique, unique. Th you know, we like I said, we had BMR for the corn that's supposed to get us better milk. We had low lignin alfalfa, and now there's this sort of new part that might bring more soybeans growing back on dairy farms, or like we said, even roasters back on farms. It, it has the potential here to sort of change our local industry as we know, and it seems like it's changed already. Some of the like in Michigan, I know these are quite popular and has already changed some of those areas. So it'll be interesting what, what we see here now and how the landscape is in five years with these soybeans if if it if it starts to take off and dairymen really see an advantage to it. Yeah. All right. So there you go. Plenish of beans. Uh, will start being available soon. And if you're interested, like Bill said, talk to your Pioneer dealer. All right. Now we'll move into our spotlight for today. So John Deere has won a $16.3 million patent lawsuit against Kinsey and Ag Leader. 
An Iowa jury awarded John Deere that total in damages and royalties from Kinsey Manufacturing and Egg Leader Technologies on October 30th of this year, stating the two companies infringed on patents for seeding methods owned by Deere & Co. and its subsidiary, John Deere Shared Services, Inc. Lawsuit claimed that Kinsey's TrueSpeed and Egg Leader's SureSpeed high-speed planting systems infringed on... U.S. patents that I'm not going to read the numbers of because they're big numbers, um, but three patents, uh, Kinsey and Egg Leader, directly and indirectly infringed on the first two, but not the third, according to the jury. The jury did not find that it, the infringements were willful, so it's not that they intentionally did it. It just happened to be um, when you've, sometimes when you develop a technology, you develop in a similar way, is what they found as, as a jury. Uh, <clears throat> so Kinsey and Egg Leader strongly disagree with the verdict and intend to pursue their rights to challenge this verdict. So it may not be the last we hear of this. Um, for now, the victory goes to John Deere, but there may be appeals and other things that happen from Kinsey and Egg Leader. So, um, yeah, high-speed technology has been around for a while, and it's, it reminds me a lot of, like, remember Samsung and... Apple had this whole thing over, like, I can't even remember if it was, like, the shape of icons or something. Okay. Something like that. It was always kind of goofy, and maybe we'll see the same thing happen here, because now Apple and iPhone, or an Android, particularly Samsung, share technology. They use the same wire, or, uh, wireless charging technology and other things. Um, but, yeah, I, that's kind of what I thought of first when I, when I saw this was the iPhone and Samsung lawsuits of if, several years ago so it's a hard case because we want what's right for we want the technology to be as best as it can for these farmers out there so yeah you kind of need this competition and yeah right. it can see where you're going to end up in similar pathways to solve this problem so it's yeah i'm sure that there'll be more litigation like it says it'll continue to be ongoing and it'll be interesting to see what what happens because yeah they don't say either if if kinsey will continue to sell True speed, or how they're going to kind of handle it for this coming year. So we'll have to kind of closely watch that. I would imagine it's probably they'll be required to pay a royalty to John sure to on those. And the article didn't specify exactly what the three patents were, as far as like what part of the technology specifically. Right, and I thought it was unique that two, you know, that they infringed on two of the three, right, but not one of them. So obviously, there's part of it there that was right. It's was it's almost got to be individual components of the right. mo the motor or something like. Um, patents are always kind of weird because, you know, sometimes there is only one way to do something, and even like, could you imagine being a patent lawyer in all these? I mean, you oh, could. I can't imagine. The, I, you know, the, like the headache that. Oh, is. I mean, when to, <laughs> yeah. When to sue, how to sue, how much to sue, yeah, how to even prove that it's that much in losses or, yeah, it's yeah. just... They are most likely the winners in this, though. As they are. The lawyers? The yeah. lawyers, yes. <laughs> okay. They're always, yeah. They always win. doesn't matter yeah. what side they're on. But. All right. So there you go. Now we'll move into our Egg History Minute. Since we were talking soybean oil, might as well do a history of soybean oil. So soybeans are thought to have been domesticated in northeast China in the 11th century BC. Most of the early uses for soybeans were as food. The first reference to their processing into soy oil being the year 1061. An oil press was described in 1313, and the first reference to feeding defatted soybean cakes to pigs was in 1637. First chemical analysis for a soybean cake or meal was published in 1861. During the mid-1800s and early 1900s, there were several technical references on soybeans, soybean oil, and soy cake. In 1908, England was the first country outside of East Asia to import large amounts of soybeans. The crushing of soybeans grew in Europe to supply a source of needed vegetable oil. The RST solvent processing plant processing soybeans was in Germany, in 1911, North Carolina Cottonseed Oil Mill uh, was experimenting with processed soybeans in the United States in 1916. In the early 1920s, soybeans were first commercially processed in Decatur, Illinois. 
With world events during the early 1940s, growing demand for vegetable oil and advances in animal nutrition that uh, feed protein to animals and poultry production resulted in rapid growth of soybean processing and soybean meal use in the U.S. It was not until 1941 that over one half of U.S. soybeans were plowed under for soil improvement. Or uh, were harvested for seed. Sorry, skipped the line. (laughs) My bad. Uh, Previously, the soybean crop was primarily used for hay, pasture, silage, or plowed under for soil improvement. In 1950s, the world's demand for vegetable oil and soil protein resulted in soybeans becoming a major crop for domestic use and export. The term soybean cake uh, was replaced with the term, term soybean oil meal in the 1920s, which peaked in the 1950s to be replaced with the present term of just soybean meal. Use of soybean meal in livestock and poultry rations has increased annually since ni- the 1960s. That was a lot. That was a lot. But I, it was I the soybean cake thing because I've heard people say cake like a little bit. Usually, it's like oh, the soybeans are caked up on the side. Kind of right, <laughs> not not in this. Not so yeah, here. would not, you like a soybean cake? Yes. Now no. We, now we no, call that your cake. We call that tofu. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So the, and then it went to soybean oil meal too, which seems weird because you pull the oil out. Right, when so you think like of the, meal and oil, yeah. Right, it's like the opposite. Yeah. And then now, like you say, it's just soybean meal or meal or not. And now there's even more, you know, kind of trade names for this stuff of Exceller meal and what I don't well, know any you, of those. You use uh, hulls and stuff yes. too, and yeah, and different ways. So yeah, crazy. The other why, like that it <laughs> that like. It was used primarily for hay pasture silage early on. Wow, did this thing fall from a forage? Like, yeah. Right. No, every every I, once in a while it comes up like, oh, I, right. if you double crop beans, maybe you might have you to could, chop them for forage. For forage but, but it's never pl- like a planned no, thing. Yeah. No, and like that, that took basically till the 1950s to sort of make that changeover was, is wild that it was that much of, and now it's... Yeah, it's a disaster if you have to use it for a forager. It's, you just rarely do. There's other options that seem to work better. Maybe it'll make a comeback in the forage. Oh, four. 2004, my first year in this job. Yeah. We, we couldn't get planted. Like, we couldn't get... It was like we were planting beans the 4th of July because we literally couldn't get planted. And all those questions came that fall of... Did you do any? Did any go for forage? Yeah, some yeah. did. Some yeah. did because we got... And then we bumped up against frost on the other side. Sure, so sure. it was like, yeah. yeah, we did. All right. Thank you to our listeners out there. Thank you to everybody in a deer stand listening right now. Please subscribe and tell a farmer friend about the podcast. It's very easy. You just need to search Tilt Talk Radio and Apple Podcasts. Or on an Android phone, go to Podcast Addict or Google Podcasts are two great apps to use. To listen on your computer or smartphone browser, go to tiltheag.com slash podcast. And we're also available on Amazon Music, and you can follow us on Facebook and X at Tilth Talk Radio. All right. Thanks, Todd. Now we'll move into our Cool Beans, that's corny, and some current events. So, Cool Beans? Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Our Cool Beans this week, we have the cost of Thanksgiving dinner for 2023 is down slightly from a record high last year in 2022. So across the past three years, we've got 2021, the average cost for 10 people was $53.31. 2022, it jumped $11 to $64.05. And this year, it's dropped by $3 to $61.17. So gathering around the table this Thanksgiving won't cost as much as last year, but still is a reflecting higher costs. American Farm Bureau Federation's 38th annual survey provides a snapshot of the average cost of the classic meal, which comes out to about uh, 6.20 per person or slightly less than that. It's a 4. Point are, you, are you charging people on the way in, Matt? Or? I think there's a cover charge, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and well, I'm not dealing with change, so we're going to go 7. Just 7. <laughs> Flat. I think just go to eight, seven. You don't want to deal ten. with the ones, just go to 10. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a 4.5% decrease from last year, uh, but the Thanksgiving meal is still 25% higher than it was in 2019, uh, which highlights the impact of high supply costs and inflation since the pandemic. 
Or you, if their side that they brought doesn't add, like your family of four, right. it's better be a ten dollars. Yes, side. Yeah, you yeah. you needed to up your game here. I'm gonna watch. Just make sure your kids only eat half. Like, yeah, that can of cranberries. And can't bring one year. pie. You have to bring two. two yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is that's how it goes. <laughs> I was surprised the other day how much um, some canned goods have gone up. It's like cans of soup was over a dollar now, or, is weird, or right, over two dollars. Like, I think right. Actually, like yeah. usually it was like a buck. 20 or something yeah, now they like they're two, creeped yeah. that up and uh-huh. it feels like the cans got smaller but i don't know just granola sh- bars shrinkflation yeah like granola bars are, are terrible expensive no like, like same price but they're half the oh, oh yeah they're smaller, smaller. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah they just put more air in it like they do with chip bags yep. yeah you get the little package that still looks almost looks as big when you grab it, it like is empty on the ends uh so the turkey the centerpiece for most thanksgiving dinners was one of the price drops in the makeup of a thanks excuse me Thanksgiving dinner. Currently, a sixteen pound turkey average price is twenty seven thirty five, which is about a buck seventy one per pound, which is down five point six percent from last year. Yeah, the days of the fifty cents a pound turkey deals, I think, are are gone. Yeah, I did see ninety nine cents, but yeah, I have seen about a buck. I'm trying to remember yeah. if that was Walmart or Aldi's. If you if you watch, you can get it under that average of buck seventy one pretty easy, but not probably not after this week. <laughs> when you get into Thanksgiving week, well, after Thanksgiving, you're you gonna right after Thanksgiving. Those right. are always like the weirdest sizes left, though. Like, so right. they're usually it's either like small. a thirty pound turkey yeah, or an or, eight. Yeah, it's usually yeah. really yeah, yeah. Be safe to anybody out there deep frying a turkey. Cause <laughs> yes, make sure you can just still deep fryers. I I don't. It no. just yeah, it's just well, like for one, the oil actually was quite expensive. There you go. I'm sure. Yeah, it was, especially if you're only gonna deep fry, you know, like when I do it, I usually do two. But if you're gonna say, you know, and by in usually in less than a couple months, that oil isn't great. Like I have done it where you wait like six months and it's kind of. But yeah, if, but the oil itself's quite expensive just to do it. So you got to do a lot of it. And every time I did it, I felt like I was gonna burn my face off. <laughs> so. But it was fast. I did love that. Like, yeah. you know, you're not putting it in the oven and waiting. Like, you're usually you could rock out a turkey in 40 minutes. That's so I trigger I trigger ours. Yeah, and that's a couple day process. Yeah, but, but that you're not going to worry about burning your no, face no, off. No, 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 or burning the garage down, or burning like and I, that too. You'd have to set. Up, I'd set up on the driveway and. Yeah, so it, Todd's it was, whole family ate fried food for three weeks. Just right, to use yeah, up that oil. Just to get the oil after yeah. Thanksgiving. <laughs> Onion rings again. No, no, no. It's it's even worse than that. Like, we're frying everything. <laughs> Bring your bowl of cereal out here, Junior. We're frying. <laughs> Put it in. Fried Lucky Charms. That sounds like a state fair thing, not a yeah, Thanksgiving thing. I definitely think you'd have to batter it. Otherwise, that would just disappear once you put it in the oil. All right. All right. Moving on. Moving on to our That's Corny this week. Uh, we're looking at losing in more than one way. Uh, the biggest loser in America's obsession with weight loss medications is potentially the snack industry. So pharmaceutical companies have high hopes for a new category of weight loss medication known as GLP-1 drugs. Uh, basically, when administered monthly, they alter the body's production of hormones that control the brain's perception of satiety, or you're being sated by your meal, the sense of being full. They have become a sensation in the medical industry for coping obesity and diabetes and a challenge to the food industry and its investors. Two big brands currently are Ozempic and Wegovi. They have been through uh, years of testing, like all new pharmaceuticals. Ongoing research shows clear evidence of effectiveness. Uh, The impact from these was stated by a former or a Walmart executive, they said that shoppers using such drugs would use less food. Um, How are they tracking that? How I, does Walmart know that? I don't know. How do they know that? I mean, if you bought this Ozembic at Walmart, uh, maybe they can track the rest of what they're buying. Those, Your those, phone those, is listening to you. Well, right. So they like, buy data from Google. <laughs> those scanners aren't just for this. Like security yeah. devices anymore? They actually scan your body. Yeah, and test it know, for, it's uh, in your urine. They're actually te- yeah, yes. yeah. They have yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't go to the bathroom at Walmart. Yeah, this is totally unrelated. But the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've been watching the show. I know, I know. We'll get there though. Okay. Don't worry. 
uh, called Snake Oil. Oh, you're telling me that's about that. Spade, right? And David Spade, yeah. And it's like Richard. you have to guess the real product versus the Snake Oil product or the fake product. And one of the things they had on there was like a um, a toilet that would like do medical tests for you. <laughs> okay. And I think it was from Japan, and it, I think it was like a legit thing where it would for you could pay to. Like in a public restroom in Japan, you can pay to have it have, like process have your, it, have your, your urine check. for some sort of testing. Yeah, um, it's a way to get your drug testing done. Yeah, huh? so maybe Walmart bought all those. I don't know. Yeah. Um, anyway, so the idea is that um, certain foods, not all foods, will be consumed less. So they saw an increase in purchase of yogurt, herbs and spices, refrigerated things, condiments, and then the biggest like drop was in snack foods. Prepared food, candy, um, bread. So ke- ketchup and ranch are the winners here. Ketchup yes, still putting yogurt. Ke- see, yeah, your animals. You haven't lived till you've put ketchup in your yogurt. No, I, <laughs> I don't think that's a mix that the, anyone's doing. But it's weird that they're that specific to say yogurt was that much better. Like, yeah. does this drug actually have a side effect of like craving yogurt? <laughs> like, um, I think it speaks create- to. What eating people healthier. see as eating is healthy, healthy. Yeah. yeah. Which yogurt? Yogurt. And good. so, if smooth, a lot of smoothies and stuff have yogurt yeah. in them, yep. and that's a big thing for people. There's, I know, Seymour had what two stores at oh, one yeah. time that for, were doing oh, we're, healthy shakes or whatever. Yeah, and, yeah. we're big time, man. Good. Yeah, two of your healthy shake stores. Uh, I, I think only one of them is still a healthy shake store, but anyway. <clears throat> um, but I know that's a thing in, in even bigger cities too. You can go and get your your health shake in the morning and. Uh, it's hasn't anywhere near replaced coffee, but maybe someday that'll be more of a thing. Uh, but anyway, so with yeah, eating less and being able to inhibit the the body's uh, ability to feel hunger, it would make sense that yeah, that people are going to eat less food, and so we would need to produce less food in the long term. So we'll see where that goes. But um, I don't know. It's weird to think about using a drug in that way, but it's not out of the realm of what we do with normal medications. We're trying to reduce cholesterols and everything else with other medications, so I guess it was a logical step in that way. All right, and we'll wrap things up here with our Field Good Friday. So this week we're looking at Harvest Update and... 13 states have wrapped up more than 90% of soybean harvest. So Wisconsin being just outside of that uh, at 89% as of November 12th. Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Missouri, uh, Kansas, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Mississippi all above 90%. Do you see... South Dakota hit a hundred percent. Yeah, did South, it. South Dakota in Louisiana, gone. like you did it, and a lot of yeah, several gone. of them are at ninety nine. So by now they're right. Probably done. They right. Yeah. That's true. They had this week to get done. Yep. And like basically, like us in Michigan and Kentucky, and Kentucky, and Kentucky and yeah. Tennessee. Which is weird that it jumps like Ohio, Indiana, that and goes down. Yeah. And we're, we're kicking Tennessee, North, North Carolina. Behind. You're North Carolina. You're right. That's North Carolina. It's sixty one. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're kicking their butt. So what's going on there? <laughs> I don't must be wet or storms, obviously. Um, and then corn-wise, that's a little less um, definitive. Wisconsin, again, still kind of lagging against most of the states I mentioned earlier. Um, Texas and Kansas are sitting at 97% each. So nobody but North Carolina is 100%. I, is so that's North Carolina, they, they just did all their corn. Yeah, they did all their corn first. So obviously it was rainy days and just not good bean harvest days for, for days. Tennessee as well, 97%. Illinois at 95 uh, Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri all in the mid-90s. And then, uh, yeah, the Dakotas also, South Dakota, 100% of beans, but only 87% of corn. So. If you add up the two percents, Michigan's kind of behind. In like, if if you're who's behind in both, kind of right. they're they're. You think for us, like we're kind of behind. It feels yeah, they're Wisconsin, barely halfway but, done with corn. But yeah, so, they yeah. got a long way to go. But it was a good week, so this will be interesting when when the next harvest report comes out on the following Monday, the twentieth, to see what that one shows. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, so especially. It's why I just feel good Friday. It's like 
harvest wrap up is the best feeling ever. So make sure you enjoy it out there, farmers. It's and we had you know, a beautiful, a successful, week healthy year yeah. when you do that, and you know, just that that can't beat. That's one of the best feelings ever. Is that sort of yeah? Especially if you can. It seems like Thanksgiving's always that you try to get done certain things ahead of that, and hopefully, so hopefully you don't have you to eat your turkey that. in the combine. Yeah, right. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So this week we talked Hyolake soybeans. In our spotlight, we looked at John Deere and Kinsey fighting over patent infringement on planters. Ag History Minute, the history of soybean oil. Cool beans this week was the cost of Thanksgiving dinner should be down for you this year compared to last year. Our That's Corny is weight loss drugs may lead to less food needed. And our Field Good Friday is harvest is continuing and wrapping up in some states as we continue to move along in Harvest 2023. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.